That's not a word. <laughs> awesome. Let me just back up. This is Tim Teasy, 116, coming at you live from Eric's office. Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Hello, New Life listeners. This is Pastor Eric, and we are here in my office. I'm here with Tim, our youth director, and Pastor Ben, our lead pastor. And I do apologize over the last couple of weeks, it's been spotty, but there has been holidays and vacations and then very bad weather, as most of you know who are listening. So we just haven't been able to be as regular here, but we're back. We're here. Happy Thursday. Thanks for listening in. Today on our podcast, we are going to start a new series dealing with the strategy of New Life Lutheran Church. And I'm going to let Pastor Ben kind of explain what our strategy is. He's kind of the main strategist and communicator for us here at New Life. And he'll explain why we chose this strategy. But we believe that it's not just the strategy for New Life, but it's actually the strategy that Jesus implemented. And so we're going to deal a little bit with that. Pastor Ben. You know, as Eric uh, introduced us there, we're really looking at the strategy that, that Christ used and really the strategy that every church in correlation with that should use. And I think one of the things that is so easy that churches do, so easy that New Life has done or has done in the past, is you tend to just do what your old church has done, which of course just tended to do what their old church had done, or just tended to do at some point in time, there's an origin story where they just did what someone thought they should do or enjoyed, and then all of a sudden that kind of became the ethos of that church and almost becomes sacralized. So then people hold these things up just because someone far back, generations back, had enjoyed it or had had a passion about it, and they started doing it, and it was probably successful or it probably felt really good doing, and so then they hold it to this high standard, and they never ask the question, is this what we should be doing? And what I see in a lot of churches, I've experienced it in a lot of churches serving all around the country, is that we get caught up into these notions, and it just wastes our time. And ultimately, we don't do what Christ did. We don't do what the church is trying to do. We don't really fulfill the mission and vision. And just as a recap, we've talked about this before, and if you go to New Life, you should know our mission and vision, or at least have a pretty good understanding of where we're going and what we're trying to do, which how we have articulated this, which is a connection to the Great Commission and the purposes of what Christ is trying to do, which is transformed hearts, transformed lives, transformed community, and transformed world. And that's the natural process of Christ working in someone's life. He renews their heart, ultimately their mind. They begin to think differently, act differently. Their life transforms. Every area of their life transforms. Then they impact those in their community, and hopefully that continues to spread all throughout the world. And so that's the mission of the church. That's the mission that Christ gave us. So if we look at Christ's life, we see that he did it in three very distinct ways. And so at New Life, we have decided to cut through all of the history and, and past maybe good decisions or bad decisions, and just look, 
hey, at the origin story, at the origin of the church, how did Christ transform people's lives? And the answer is we see it in three different ways, but it's really a pattern that he showed us how to transform our lives and connect with God on an individual basis. At New Life, we call it the row, the table, and the chair. And just as a quick synopsis, the row is the large group activity. This is the large group gathering. Typically, it's your Sunday morning experience where anyone and everyone is open to come and hear the Word of God. And they can kind of hide out in those large group moments. They don't necessarily have to believe. They can just exist in there. They can hear. They can decide for themselves, and they go home at the end of the time. The table is more of the life group setting. It's a small group setting. We see that in correlation to Christ's life with the disciples. He had 12 men that walked with him much of his life. They had deep conversations. He explained the parables to them in depth after he would share with the large crowd. And they just had this tight-knit relationship, and they grew together. And then the chair, simplistically, is Christ's time. It said that he would get up early in the morning, he would go by himself, and he would pray. He would connect with the Father in an intimate way, personally, with no distractions, just him and God. And so at New Life, we have decided to do exactly what Christ did, because that is a strategy he implemented And that protects us from wandering down weird roads of different people's passions or purposes or hopes or desires. And we just stay 100% focused on these three things, which is producing excellence to transform lives in the row, the table, and the chair. Let's take, let's still stay about, you know, 30,000 feet. Let's kind of fly over and just look at these things because the plan is after this podcast, we're going to look at each one of these, the row, the table, the chair in depth. We're really going to take a long time talking about the different elements that are involved in those things. So, uh, Tim, I'm just going to kick this over to you as our youth director. Can you walk us through how you see this row, table, and chair strategy play out for our youth? Yeah, sure. So as we get into the row, table, and chair, um, so our row is our meetings. That's when, that's our confirmation. That's our high school youth. And the reason we play games and we have meals and we do um, all those sorts of kind of wacky things is because we want to reach a large group. Uh, we're trying to reach as many students as possible. When you when you play games, uh, if you're a non-believer, uh, if you come to a church and uh, you know, all they're talking about is just uh, Bible lessons and whatnot. Um, it's kind of hard for you to connect to that. And so the reason we have our confirmation groups and we have games and we have meals and we're trying to reach as many people as we possibly can. And then our table would be me going out, having lunch, going to games, uh, connecting with them and uh, on a one on one level. And them uh, getting to know what it looks like to be a believer. All right. And so then the chair is where our students go um, on their own. And that's when they grow closer to God. And that's where I really try to hammer home the importance of them going on their own um, and them uh, reading their Bible for themselves, praying on their own. And that's one thing that, that is really important is reading the scripture and prayer. As a discipleship pastor, really how I how I interact with the row, the table, and the chair is the row for me is uh, that Sunday morning and Saturday night 
large group gathering. So Pastor Ben and I uh, split that. He's the main communicator and he's the main organizer of those. And I kind of assist uh, as a pastoral presence in those and a, and a pastoral worship leader in those situations. Uh, and so that's the row for my ministry. But then really my emphasis is on the table and the chair. And so through the table, we have our life groups, which are our small group. That's our small group system, uh, natural expressions of Christian community where people gather together, they live life together, they care for each other intentionally, uh, they learn how to live faithfully, and they encourage one another in their calling. And then also along with that, I do the journey classes. That's also, I kind of see that as a, as a table aspect. Scripture tells us that Jesus would preach to the crowds, and then he would explain the parables that he told to the crowds to the disciples. So to me, that's kind of the explaining the parables. And in those journey classes, we talk about things like membership and and our family here at New Life, and then also how we worship, how we read Scripture, some of those things. So it's kind of a training, uh, a little bit of a, of a dojo, so people can grow in their walk with Jesus. And then uh, the chair is, is those resources for people to grow in their faith. Uh, so we have right now media, we have our podcast, and we have a few other things down the chute. So that's really kind of my focus, that row, that table, and the chair. I really focus on the implementation of the table and the chair. How do we experience transformation in the row, the table, and the chair? What is the benefit that we receive from those things? I think sometimes when we have this conversation about the row, it's a little bit abnormal or it's a little bit uh, counter to how we function as humanity. Is It's easier to sit at the table. What I mean by that, it's, it's easier to surround yourself by people you're exactly like. It's easy to talk to a smaller group. All these things are easier. But we see in Christ's life that as he went out and spoke, large crowds would gather and anyone Anyone and everyone could be there. And sometimes we get in these conversations as pastors and, and you know silly fights about what is church for or what is that group experience for. Some people say it's just for believers, and some people say it's for everyone. I land in the everyone camp, and the reason I live land in the everyone camp is because I believe that Jesus landed in the everyone camp. We see Christ having intentional gatherings where anyone and everyone could show up. In fact, I think it's it's no it's no coincidence that when Jesus gathered and the group gathered, that he tend to gather the group in spaces where there was plenty of room. In fact, it said at one point in time he was preaching and there were so many people there that he got into a boat and he backed up so there was more space. In other words, he backed up so more and more people could come, not so that he could limit the crowd. And so he would intentionally put himself in places where anyone and everyone could come. People who don't agree, people who agree, people who are against them, people who are for them, anyone and everyone could come. And so as a church, I think the real win of having opportunities like this is it's spaces where people can feel more comfortable to check out the faith, possibly re-engage with the faith. And the beauty of, of a larger setting is that people can feel comfortable wandering in, they can stay a little bit covert, that people might not necessarily see them, or they're coming late, and it's okay, they can leave a little bit early. And I'm fine with all those things, because it means that I have a crowd, I have a row, I have a group of people who are listening to the Word of God, and that's what we preach. And so, of course, I want anyone and everyone to be there. I don't want to limit it. I don't want to put 
some sort of rules or regulations on who can come in our church or who can't come in our church. I don't care what you believe, what you think, what political ideology you are, what you look like. I hope you just show up, and as big a doors as we can put on the building, we will to get people there. That's the beauty, because the reality is large groups, they're magnetic, and you've all experienced this before. When you see a crowd, you tend to drive past to figure out what's going on, and it's the same beauty that Christ offered. Large groups gathered, everyone got to hear the Word of God, and He got to share the truth with as many people as possible. Now, was everyone's life transformed? Not necessarily, but at least they had an opportunity. And so when I think about the row, when I think about church, I want to provide the biggest and largest opportunity for people to engage with God's truth, and then at least they'll have an opportunity. At least they'll have an opportunity to hear the Word, and they can fight against the Holy Spirit at their prerogative at that point in time. But the beauty of the large group experience is that anyone and everyone can be there. Anyone can show up. We want to create venues and opportunities where you are comfortable as a Christian to bring your friend in, your relative in, and to just have them in a space where they can hear about God. They can probably even learn something from Christ that benefits their life, even if they don't fully buy in, but ultimately to experience the full life transformation and the transformation in life after. That's what we want to do, create those venues where anyone and everyone can show up and be a part of it. And also just to kind of expand on this a little bit, if we think of it even less as a less as a ministry opportunity, which it is, and more of a discipleship issue, where even Jesus saw it good and right and beneficial to go to synagogues, which was the Jewish church that was outside the temple. It was the gathering of the community to hear the word of God spoken. He saw it, he saw it good and beneficial to go to the synagogue regularly and also to go to the temple regularly. So even Jesus himself engaged in row-like behavior, where he would go to the large group and would participate in worship of God. So not only is it, from a ministry standpoint, good for us to to reach out as much as we can. And right now, the way that our culture works, Sunday morning, that is the that is the front door to your church. That's where people expect to engage first is on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights, the whatever big group gathering you have. So we're going to utilize that for transformation. We're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to give the sacrament, and Christ is going to offer his promises to us in those things. And so God gathers us together, and it's a ministry thing, but it's also a discipleship thing, where there is um, there is a transformation that occurs in the gathering. And we, I mean, we're, we're Lutherans, so for us, the group gathering is the beginning and end of discipleship. We believe that that Jesus presents himself in the Word, and then he presents himself in the, the Holy Communion, in, in Holy Communion. And so it is, uh, it is the summit of our Christian experience, is receiving Jesus. And so the, the row is kind of the beginning and end of our discipleship. Another thing that the row does, too, is one of the things that we value here, one of our core values at New Life is excellence. And so we try to do our, our row experience, our church experience, which is Saturday uh, traditional on Sunday and traditional, or sorry, contemporary Sunday as well, is do them as best as possible. Because for most of us, average Joe on the street, we don't have the gift of evangelism where we show up to somebody's house, we share with them the Holy Spirit works, and they receive Christ's benefits. But what we can do is invite. And so the large group experience is a little less intimidating than inviting someone to a life group or a ministry opportunity you know, you can offer it and say, hey, this is the series we're covering. It's very good. The music is good, whatever style you prefer. 
And just come with me because it's Christmas. Just come with me because it's Easter. Just come with me because right now we're talking about marriage, money, or whatever, and it's so good. I don't want you to miss out. And so the nice thing about that row is crowds grow because of invitation. And the same way Christ, when he was in the row and large groups would show up, you know that there was, there was conversations that happened that got more and more people there. Someone went, they saw Christ, they told their friend to come. In the same way, that's the first step for many believers to evangelize is simply to invite them into that row experience. And so it creates a nice opportunity for people to take, take one step forward in their practices of being missional for the purposes of God. So I think the row really does provide that. We obviously offer things specifically for Christians in that moment, but we also offer things for everyone every time we meet. And so anyone can get some benefit from being in church. And so we do want to create an opportunity for people to take that first step in their mission to invite someone in. And obviously then they can move forward in their evangelistic practices. And if I can be the on-site nerd one more time, um, even in the early church, the way that they did worship or the way that they shaped their worship was two movements, the word and the table. So the reading of scripture, the preaching of scripture, and then the sacrament, the Holy Communion, Holy, the Lord's Supper. And what they did, the way that they did it, we don't quite do it this way, but that's a whole other thing. But what they would do is that anybody and everybody could come and listen to the word. Anybody and everybody could hear the word, hear the, hear the sermon, be part of the prayers, do all of that. But then once they started the Lord's Supper portion of the service, if you weren't baptized, you had to leave. You couldn't be there. So when they had their meal together, that was, that was an exclusive um, event. And so it's just what you were saying, Ben. There are some things that only Christians really get benefit from in the worship service. Only those who have faith in Jesus really receive the benefits. And, uh, but everybody receives some benefit from those things. What you can draw as a listener from today's podcast is you can really hear how important the the row is. And that's one of the reasons why I shape confirmation the way I do versus a traditional confirmation where you just come in, um, get an hour lesson, and then go on. We really want an opportunity for for everyone, not just believers. Uh, we encourage students to invite friends. We encourage students to invite uh, family and uh, the reality is not all, not everyone is saved. Not everyone uh, knows Jesus, and so if we can provide an opportunity for them to get to know Christ, uh, that's a win for us. Let's keep flying at thirty thousand feet. So now let's move into the table. Full disclosure, we did not come up with this strategy. We also did not even really come up with this language, although we altered the language a little bit to fit our theological model. But we have the row, and the reason that we call it the row is because people sit in rows when they are partaking the worship experience. And the next one is a table, which is the smaller gathering. And we call it a table because usually when you meet with people, you sit around a table. Let's ask the same question. How does... The table produced transformation, and I'll ask it this way, why, if I'm a believer or if I'm not a believer, would I want to meet with other believers or meet with other people and read scripture, talk about scripture, pray with one another, care for one another? I view the strategy as not only just three things that we do, but three things that are are perfectly interconnected. 
And I don't think Christ's object when he did these three things was to keep them separate. It was a process. And so you can see the process. We want everyone and anyone, anyone who walks through our doors, anyone who's in the Sock Valley area, to show up to our row, to show up to our services. But our hope is not to just to leave them there. I mean, that'd be great if they came weekly or occasionally or Christmas or Easter. I mean, those are all great and those are all wins. I love the opportunity to share the Word of God with those people, and hopefully it connects with them. Hopefully it gets ingrained in their heart and the Holy Spirit works. But I want them to take the next step, and the next step is the table. And we see that with the disciples. The disciples were at the table. Christ brought other people to the table. There was other intimate experiences in his life where people were actually in the row. They saw him. Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. He was in the row. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was eating dinner with him. And he was having that table experience, which was a more intimate, intimate connection to him. In the same way, the table is an intimate connection with Christ. It's a deeper looking, typically through Bible study or even practice through through ministry work. It's also a deeper connection to other fellow Christians. Because the truth is we're not lone rangers in this. And this is why church attendance and this type of stuff is so important. This is why just going online doesn't really work well. Yeah, you can hear excellent speakers, you can hear excellent music, but there's different things that you miss out on. Not only the sacrament, but there's something about being around a community of people to have conversations, to have people challenge you. And really in the table, this is where this happens. You can attend the row for the rest of your life and you're not going to have anyone call you out more than likely on your stuff. But if you give them permission to by stepping into the table, people will challenge you. You can push back. They can push back at you. You can move forward and grow with them, go forward with God, get connected in ministry, have permanent lifelong relationships built on these things and move forward in your faith. And just think about the disciples. Disciples grew so much. They spent every moment with Jesus growing closer to him and growing closer to his truth, and then they went out. And that's exactly what they did. Christ poured his life into them, and they grew in their faith, and they modeled who he was. And that's what the table is all about, growing closer to each other, growing closer to Christ, and then really unveiling all those gifts and things that God has given us to become deeper in your faith. And then, of course, in a moment, a next podcast or some other conversation, we're going to talk about the chair, but that's the third step. It's a process to get all three ingrained in your life. And when you're doing that, then you're going to experience transformation. Transformation doesn't happen by wandering into the row occasionally. Transformation happens by committing to the row, committing to the table, and committing to the chair and trusting the process, and then you will experience transformation. It's exactly like working out. If you go to a large group activity once in a while, and you do a large group Pilates class, you know that offers some benefit, but you know meeting one-on-one with the trainer or small group is gonna have way more benefit because everything will be customized towards you and move in your direction, and then you're gonna really experience those things. And of course, another layer deep, it's just more intimate, more personal, more transformation experienced. And we just see that in Christ's life. We see him pattern it. He wants everyone connected, but he knows that the best opportunities are as you go down that process of row to table and to chair, and then implementing all three in your life to really experience the transformation that God promises and offers. Just extend that thought, fill it out a little bit more. Ultimately, the Christian life is about loving God and loving others. 
That's a great commandment. That's what we're called to do. Uh, in Second Peter, as Peter walks through the Christian life, through the first six or seven or eight verses, the end of the Christian life is love. It's love for God and love for other people. And so there are, there are ways that we can love one another and love God in the row. And those are good, and we should do those. We need to do those. But we can't do everything. We can't do everything in the row. So we need an opportunity to kind of fill out that love for one another and that love for God. Um, and so I, that's kind of how I see the table acting, is that the table is an opportunity for us to get together in smaller groups. And I think that um, this doesn't just need to be organized life groups even. So I think that um, this includes families. This includes informal friend groups, those sorts of things. We all live life around tables. Um, and that's an opportunity for us to love one another in ways that we can't love one another in the row. We can greet one another and give each other joy and pray for one another, encourage one another in the row, but we can't do everything there. So the table helps us fill that out. It helps us just expand that love for one another and ultimately expand that love for God, because that's that's also our opportunity to serve the least of these, serve those who are sick and and naked and homeless and thirsty and orphans. Um, and Jesus tells us in the Gospels that when we do that for others, we're doing that for him. So it's actually a way to love God by loving others, by caring for those who are less fortunate than us. And so to me, that's a, that table is a way to expand that the the life of the believer and and love each other in ways that we just can't in the row, in ways that we need to, but we just can't in the row. What you guys have said just really hit it on the head. It really expands what the row is trying to do. And Eric, I love what you said because you said, you know, when um, when you do this to others, you do it for Jesus as well. And so for the table, when we come together, it also brings accountability. You know, that you can't necessarily get in the row because when you when you're in such a large group, it's really easy to blend in and it's really easy to disappear in a large group. Whereas when you come to the table, uh, when you're around a smaller group, um, it's it's actually really hard to do. Um, You're it's kind of like you're singled out and that can be a really good thing for growth. That can be a really good thing for um, really understanding people's needs and really understanding what people are going through. And so I know whenever I do this for my life, my own personal life group and uh, with my youth uh, leaders and students, uh, I can see how beneficial it is for not only them, but for me as well. Because um, it's just allowing myself to be open and be vulnerable with them and uh, discipling them through that, discipling them through my mistakes and trying to teach them uh, what they can do better, what I can do better. For, for doing this with my students, I just, I really see it impacting them well. And uh, I, I just see it as extremely beneficial to them. And I try to do it as often as I can. Unfortunately, it's not something I can do every day um, I feel like that'd be the most beneficial if you could do it every day, but just doing it once a week is really beneficial for them. So they can either come to a high school youth group on Sunday and then I can meet with them on, you know, a Thursday or Friday or uh, confirmation, uh, doing something with them on a Saturday or Sunday and uh, just seeing how that impacts them.
let's finish up and talk about the chair. So again, 30,000 feet. Let's just kind of fly over why is the chair transformational um, and why should I engage in personal devotions of any kind? Well, the answer is we just we are called to be like Jesus, right? That's the idea of being a disciple, is you're actually trying to become a carbon copy of the person who is discipling you. So disciples were asked to be the followers of Christ. They opted in with the full awareness that they were meant to become exactly like him. They were going to become carbon copies and then become their own teachers, take on their own disciples to make another carbon copy of Christ. And so as disciples, that's what we're called to do. And so the simple answer is we do it because that's what Christ did. And we've all kind of stumbled through it a little bit today, but the truth is Christ did it because I believe he was setting a healthy practice for all of us. And there's incredible, there's incredible truth and depth to what we read in Scripture. It says every morning he would get away, which means he planned it, he planned his whole life around it, he got enough sleep so he could get up early time and time and time again to get refreshed, recharged, restored, and that's where he was being empowered to move out. And that's where he was being empowered physically, spiritually, all these things to deal with the table and then to deal with the row. And the other beauty as we think through these things of, hey, you're going to move from the row, you're going to take on the table, so you're going to take both practices, and then you're going to take on the chair. But the truth is, then it comes all the way back around. Once you have implemented all three things in your life, then you're going to influence the people around you to walk them through that same process, to influence the row, to bring them into the table, and then to have them also proceed into this private practice of the chair. And then it just works circular over and over and over again, and then people experience transformation. More people come on and experience transformation. But really, we do it because Jesus did it, and so in turn, we emulate whatever Christ did, and so we get alone. We communicate with the Father. We communicate through the Father through prayer, and then we digest, and we hear from the Father, and then all the recent avenues that the Word speaks to us. So podcasts, devotions, audio Bibles, all these things that we have right now, media, and we actually digest the Word. So God speaks to us through His Word. We speak to God. We cast our cares on Him. We talk to Him like a friend. And that's where that chair is. And that's intimacy, right? And that's what that is. You want to become intimately aware of who God is. You go with just God. There's no other distractions. It's just you and Him. You're having this dialogue back and forth, prayer to God, and then His Word to you and you grow on a deeper level, and then you take that growth into all the other facets of your life. As Pastor Ben was speaking, uh, this word just popped into my head. Uh, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, it's Talmudim. And what it means is to to serve. And not only to serve, but to serve to become like your master, right? And so as we uh, try to become more like Jesus, we're trying to become just like him. We're trying to become a carbon copy of him. And that's what the chair does for us. As we look into, um, as, as we dive deeper into our faith and as we try and grow our faith, as we read his word, as we read through the gospels and even uh, into Paul's letters to the churches, we'll see how uh, exactly Jesus acted in situations. And so if we're trying to become like Jesus, but we exclude the chair from our discipleship, from from our walk, then we can't become like Jesus. <laughs>